Ladies and gentlemen, as part of the Jeremiah Show, welcome to It's Radio with TV's Tim Stack. Now here's the host of the show, a man who only went to one autograph show in his life, lasted two hours, and left with less money than he came in with. It's TV's Tim Stack. Yay, me. Episode 7, I think, of It's Radio with TV's Tim Stack. We are building a library. Um, so the autograph story, I, I, I think I've told this before, but, uh, and my guests may chime in here before I introduce him. I have he, a thought. If he's ever been to an autograph show. So autograph shows are where celebrity, I'm putting in quotes, celebrities come and you, and people walk a mill around and they sign autograph. You, you pay celebrities cash in person to sign an autograph, to sign the autograph. Jamie, you're familiar with these things, right? I am. I am familiar. Yes. Okay, so only I, once, just like you, only once. Oh, they—they're the most humiliating. <laughs> it's unbelievable. Yeah. yeah. So, but here's what happened with me: is Lynn Stewart, who you know well, and Robert. and Cindy Williams. They said we just went to Chicago and we made a lot of money doing an autograph show. And I thought, really, that's now Cindy. I got to get, but but Lynn, who's not a huge star made like a bunch of money cash and then she said why don't you do this one in studio city in, in a couple of weeks and i thought eh. and at the time son of the beach is on and there's a lot of hype you know because of howard stern and they said and the three of us will sit together the whole day so i said okay great let's do it so i sign up for the thing and i get an invite and i'm on the list of celebrities and of course that morning as i'm driving down from santa barbara to studio city uh Cindy cancels. She got some gig, and Lynn has the flu. Oh no! Oh no! <laughs> so I'm by myself in the middle of the autograph show, and I look to my left, and there's Corey Feldman to my left, and across the way is Paul Lamott, the actor from American Graffiti, who had been an Oscar nominee. And then I'm looking around, who's at this convention? It's all sort of like. Wow, these are people I grew up with, like watching on Rin Tin Tin are there signing autographs for for five dollars. So I start, I put out, Lynn tells me what to do and she's calling me and tell, no, just put, she's got the flu, put out the pictures and, and then tell them how much you charge. I said, well, how much do I charge? She goes, charge $20 for a picture, an autograph picture. I said, oh, yeah. So the thing starts and customers come in and what happens is they look at it's I I compared it like if you're a prostitute in Amsterdam and you're in one of those windows. In the window. Yes. That's what it's like. They're coming by and they're shopping, they're looking at you, they're looking at your pictures, they're looking at your prices and most of them move on. <laughs> they just No, we're not interested. Then a woman comes up she goes uh, 20 bucks for a picture. I went, uh, yeah, uh, 20 I'll give you $13. I said, I, I and, uh, here, take a picture. So I just give her the picture. And then I start just giving them out. Corey Feldman's getting angry at me for that. Because you're, you're undercutting the market. I'm undercutting the market. There are free pictures over here. Yeah. So then finally, I, I literally asked an hour, one woman wants to, she's going to pay me with change. She has quarters with her and she wants to, I just said, I'm done. And I tell the guy who runs the autograph show, I said, I'm out of here. This isn't for me. It's not working. Out. You lasted an hour. And he's really upset with me that I'm leaving, but I couldn't take it. The guy who's lying, I, I literally, somebody paid me $20. I turned around and gave that to Vern Troyer, mini me. Many mate. So he would make an autograph for my kids. And then I left. So I left with less money than I came in with. Anyway, that's Oh, my God. Yeah. Okay. Okay. All right. Tell your autograph story, and then we'll introduce you. Okay. Now, let me introduce you first. Okay. Okay. Yeah. We'll introduce you. Okay. This is a long introduction. I have a lot of pages, incidentally, on you. Uh-huh. Like, yeah. No, there's four pages. It's all single space. There's a lot of stuff. Damn, damn we've lived lives. <laughs> yes. That's really true, isn't it? Well, yeah. we'll get into that. We yeah. will we will get into that. So, okay, Dr. D with a drum roll. Okay, my guest. He started out as an actor, 
most famous for playing Hoover, the president of the Delta House in Animal House, the iconic comedy, which I want to talk about. Then the TV series Delta House, which wasn't great, but you made a lot of lifelong friends doing that show. Got you to Los Angeles. Uh, Then the series Charles in Charge. But then he made a choice and became a director. And he has directed well over 500 episodes of television. That's insane when you think about the reality of that. Uh, Including shows Two and a Half Men and Mom and a ton of TV movies and pilots. And I want to talk about your ranking in terms of TV directors. But anyway, here he is, Mr. James Jamie Widows. Bravo. Big applause. Thank you for that introduction. Yeah. You, you know more than most. <laughs> well, IMDB is a big help, but I do know more than most. Yeah. So we'll get it. I want to do everything, but tell the dirt if you have an autograph. Okay. Well, yeah. First of all, I need to know who the six previous guests were so i know exactly where i stand uh, you rank number one ba- I ba- I barry finero john levitt i was hard to get i was hard to get i know it, it took it you had to move through six until i'd say yes i yeah. am calling in favors for from everybody i don't want to talk to somebody i don't know that's what it really comes down oh, to. yeah that's when you know you've hit the bottom when i'm when i'm reaching out to people i don't know so you know i'm pulling okay. in favors all right, so uh, autograph show. I get a call, another mutual friend of ours, Tim Matheson. Uh huh. So Tim calls me up and he says, Would you be interested? They're going to do like an animal house. Oh, at, at like a Comic Con. Uh, well, it was an autograph show. It was at the Weston Hotel by LAX, oh, where everybody goes. Right. Um, uh, and it's a giant autograph show. And, and I said, Tim, you know, uh, Tim's still and a wonderful actor, but yeah. Tim's, 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 you know, Tim's still in front of the camera and looks like he could be and should be right. as opposed to Us. some of them. <laughs> <laughs> you got hair though. I've told you that's a commodity. That's true. I could really, oh. yeah, I could, I could go places, kid. I could really, um, <laughs> Anyway, um, so I say, no, thank you. Yeah. And he emails me back and he says, I promise you, you're going to make some money. I, said, Last time I did it, I can't remember what the number was, but it might have been $20,000. And it's cash. Yeah. And it's 20000 cash, which, of course, we're broadcasting now yeah. to, to the world. No, don't, the don't worry about that. This yeah, is my uh, podcast. <laughs> this, this goes to your home. Maybe the kids will watch it. If I pay them, the kids will watch it. Right. Okay. So I show up. No. So I finally said, okay, because coincidentally that night, yeah, I was going to go with another mutual friend of ours, Peter in San Francisco. Uh-huh. We were going to Las Vegas for one night, not my favorite place in the world, but to see uh, Kix Brooks and Ronnie Dunn. Oh, that's uh, cool. Because we know Kicks. So we were going to go see him playing with Reba, who I also know because I did her pilot, Reba. Um, yeah. So, so I'm like, okay, well, it makes sort of an odd sense. I'll drive down to the Westin by LAX. Then I'll just go over to LAX and hop my plane to Vegas. And, you know, right. and at worst, and, you get free parking at right. the hotel. Um, what I didn't realize was that by the time this afternoon was finished at the autograph show, I really should have stopped somewhere and taken a shower first. I felt so dirty. <laughs> yeah. Uh, oh, the crowd is just, it's yeah, unbelievable uh, at these things. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, so we get there and it was a bunch of us, which was good. That's what helps, Tim. Yes. Is the critical mass of other people. So people aren't walking by you going, who are you? Right. And you're uh, with you're with other guys from Animal House. And it's, an, it's truly an iconic movie. And right. I know you guys are still tight and it's fun. And right. the whole ensemble. Oh, it was a great turnout. I think Tim was there. Bruce McGill was there. I think Riegert was there. Mark Mark Metcalf, who was Niedermeyer. Right. I think he was there. And I think Martha Smith and and uh, uh, a, a couple of the women were there. Um, um, 
anyway, so this thing starts. I came through some kind of a promoter. I think he might have been the guy putting the whole thing together. Right. He might have been the same guy that yelled at you. There's a guy in like some weird town in Florida who organizes. Yes, I think things. that's what it is. And he. So anyway, I, I didn't have to do a thing. There were pictures of me on the table. Right. Eight by tens. I don't know where he got them. I don't know whatever. But and there was a literally there was a price board behind me of everything. It was just the oh, it's prostitution. It's (laughs) thank you. It is. It's I and I'm like, really, you're going to pay me twenty dollars for a picture of this guy who doesn't exist anymore. Uh, um, I did it for about two and a half hours, three hours. Uh, and then we were like, okay, so you can take a meal break, which I think is to the restaurant in the Weston, where I think they would give us like a $30 voucher. <laughs> this is getting uh, worse. That didn't buy enough <laughs> drinks. I'll tell you. <laughs> um, but honest to God, I left after three or four hours at this table. I cashed out with about, I think I had five or six thousand dollars. Oh, you did well. That's good for you, which is great. You're going to Vegas then. And I was going to Vegas. That's perfect. So the perfect end of the story was it's dirty money. Right. Where else to lose dirty money? Right. And one night in Las Vegas. Yeah, and you didn't have to go to an ATM in Vegas because you lost it all. Lost it all. (laughs) Had a ball, lost it all. You know, let's put five hundred dollars on black. (laughs) <laughs> why not just for fun right Stop my money. only cost me 15 signatures what do i care <laughs> little carpal tunnel who cares that's right um but okay so let's talk about i i really and you and i have known each other for so many years but when i'm going through imdb yeah i i was looking at all and i literally counted them all up and it was something like 521 half hours i think it's i think it's actually higher i think it's closer to 700 and then you throw in some tv movies and single camera stuff and and pilots and pilots they're not always in there so so here's my question yeah i'm assuming jimmy burroughs is number one like on the all-time batting average list yep like that's the number yep and then i was thinking Jerry Paris might be number two. Might be. Don't know. Happy yeah. Days, all those Laverne, all those shows that he, you know, back then. There Dick Van Dyke pretty, and all those shows. There but were I, some pretty great, iconic guys. Don't forget Jay Sandrich. For, didn't think of Jay Sandrich. Don't forget John Rich, All in the Family. Yes. I mean, yes. back in those days. But, but Jimmy's the... Jimmy's but you're, the you're easily top ten. Oh, yeah, I think. And that's, but that's crazy. I mean, I'm not saying it's crazy that you don't deserve it, but it's a crazy, in terms of show business, of the ability to attain anything in show business, that's a crazy number. And that's, that's all, that's on you. I mean, that is totally your doing, which I want to, you know, how that all started and all that stuff. But kudos, congrats. It's, it's really yeah. You know, and I don't think people talk about that. I love to just, as we mentioned, a long life. It's like the realities of show business. Yeah. And when you think that you've accomplished that in the in the realities of show business, right. it's it's pretty crazy. Right. It, 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 it is. And it's, you know, um, um, it's a it's it's been a great ride. I mean, you know, when you do the math on it, for example, I think I was I was with uh, uh, Chuck Laurie. Uh, two and a half men recently and he said how many uh how many two and a half men did you do and i said well chuck apparently it turns out he said we did 240 uh and i said yeah i know i i did 164 of them it's wild <laughs> yeah he said really <laughs> i said yeah you kept coming you kept asking me back I don't know why. Clearly, it was working. Clearly, the cat they were happy on the floor and they were happy in the office, which I also want to talk about you being the TV director. Right. Is the ultimate messenger. People don't realize oh. that, like, 
You yeah. have a, a group of people to deal with on the floor, and then you have a group of people to deal with in the office, the writers, and that ability to to balance those two yeah. is is clearly part of the job. Yeah. Um, yeah, it's exactly right. That that's exactly what it is. You and you are the you are the in between. But at the same time, you've got to shoot a show and block right. it and and make it funny. Yeah. Otherwise, you're yeah. not coming. So it's it's you're not coming back. You're not That's coming right. back. If it's not funny, you're not coming back. And right. you've got to be that messenger who can get between. And that's a special skill. That's, a, yeah. you know, so. Yeah. OK, I just got the signal. We're going to take our first break. Oh, there are breaks. Here oh, too? yeah. This is like legit radio. So we're paying the bills now. This is what we call it in the in this the is, trade. You we have to pay the bills. Yeah, as much as I made on that autograph show, that's what. That's what eleven dollars. Um, that's what I'm making. Okay, we're going to take a break. It's radio with TV's Tim Stack talking to Jamie Widows, and we'll be right back. Hey, everybody! It's Tim Stack from It's Radio with TV's Tim Stack asking you to watch the show Sprung on Freevee, Amazon's new free channel. I promise you it's funny, it's got heart, and my shoulder appears in episode three. Larry Kroger, all in favor? Uh, yeah. Yeah. yeah, we need the dues. Good, Larry Kroger is now pledged to Delta Tau Chi. Next slide, please, D-Day. Just, just settle down. This is this is Ken Dorfman. He's a legacy from Harrisburg. <laughs> from Harrisburg. Uh, that, of course, was one of the how many iconic scenes from Animal House. Uh, but that was Jamie Widows as Hoover. Uh, welcome back. It's Radio with TV's Tim Stack is here. Um, so I want to talk. I, I, let's get into Animal House because. Okay. Yeah. But let's go back a little bit before that. So. You grew up in Pittsburgh, mm-hmm. not really synonymous with show business, Correct. and 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 what's with that Pittsburgh accent? What is that thing again? Well, you know, it's a little like it's a little Philly, Philly, but then there's something else you going only, on. Yeah, no, out there we open it up a little more, <laughs> a little more expansive. <laughs> so you go Don Pine, Don Pine. You go Don Pine, but you can't go Don Pine. Until you do the wash at home, <laughs> you got to do the wash, and you got to red up the house. So it's like it's Philly meets up. the Midwest a little. Is that kind yeah, of like exactly? Well, that's what Pittsburgh is yeah. and was. It was the the gateway to the West. Yeah, uh, I had a great time. I don't think the city I was I was there twelve weeks on the show Sprung, which I'm going to pump now is on uh, Amazon Freebie. Right. Um, I don't think that's the same city I was. The city you grew up in is not. No. The city I visited. No, no. It's actually, it's kind of a cool place. Yeah, I really, I really enjoyed it there. I just thought, wow, this is, this is, what do they say? Downtown? How do they say that? Downtown. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) I was downtown and it was fun. Yes. Um, So anyway, you go, uh, you go to boarding school and then you go to, uh, eventually you end up at NYU. Yes. How did Animal House come about like how did you get the audition for that okay well i left nyu in january of 75 a year early Uh uh-huh um um uh, and basically because i had sort of come to blows with the administration they didn't like their acting students to go out in the summertime and work because they were very much no you need to stay in our bubble and don't develop bad habits you know, by going out and getting paid to act and and stuff like that. And I just decided, no, I was ready. I had to go. And when, when I'm going back even further now, when did you know you wanted to be an actor? Well, I think when I left Loomis, where I went to boarding school, I knew I loved acting. I'd done about three or four plays in my last couple of years in high school. And uh, uh, so that first year of college, I was in the first male freshman class at Skidmore College. Uh-huh in saratoga springs new york that's a cool uh, town where where because there weren't a lot of guys i did a lot of you plays. Got every part 
<laughs> yeah, I, I, yeah, things were good there. Yeah. Um, and, uh, uh, but I transferred, oh, I, I knew I wanted to get serious about this. So you and went that to someplace either, that had a real program. That meant either Carnegie Mellon, but I didn't want to go there because it was five minutes from where I grew up. Right. In Pittsburgh or NYU or BU or SMU had a great department. But, you know, there weren't that many and right. you had to audition to get into them. Yeah. So I remember anyway, failing so those was, in high school. Yeah. So then. Um, so anyway, so I, 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 I walked out the doors at NYU end of January 75. I, I had a job as a bartender in new york uh-huh. and what happened was i just started working i i did i worked eight months in that first year in theater i did children's theater i did summer stock i did a regional theater production of taming of the shrew uh-huh. i i cobbled together eight months of work in the theater but not none of it in new york and then the next year god bless it i started to to get commercials Yes, you do. You always did very well with commercials. Yeah, and commercials are the thing that allow actors to stay in New York. Otherwise, you got to take whatever comes and yanks you off to, you know, wherever. Right. And back then, commercials paid some dough. Oh, yeah. Apparently, you're right. I mean, I'm finding this out. It's not the same. No, no, no. There are all these buyouts. Now, unless you're a celebrity and you're John Hamm and you're doing progressive ads. It's right. Yeah. 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 um, so anyway, so I was, I had about a year and a year and a half of doing very well in commercials. So by then I had an agent, uh-huh. I had done a few things in New York. I did a, I did a part on a, on a PBS miniseries with Bill Hurt. Uh-huh. Um, um, I did, you know, I was starting to work a little bit. I did some off Broadway shows, got paid for those. Um, and in the spring of 77, I decided I'm not going to take a summer job this summer. I'm going to try and stay in New York for the summer, uh-huh. uh, just, just because, and as a result, I also turned down, here's some names for you. I turned down the, a national tour of, um, South Pacific <laughs> with here we go with Jane Powell and oh Howard Keel. Oh my God! So you were going to be one of the sailors, like I was. Uh, I was going to be Mary is the girl. I was going to be Billis or Stewpot or okay, one well. of those knuckleheads. Um, and uh, and they were they called to offer me the job, and I said, you know what? I've thought about it, and I don't think I'm going to take it. Uh-huh. And I got. I got, you'll never work again. I got, you know, and all your, that stuff. your agents mad at you. And yeah. And, uh, and I said, no, I just want to stay in New York. That was probably in May. And then in June, I get a call from my agent one day saying, you know, you got an audition at universal, um, on Wednesday afternoon. And I go Wednesday afternoon and read for this movie. I'd read for movies before. I just never got one. Right. Um, and and I go and audition for the head of casting in New York. Um, and she said, I'm going to call you back tomorrow for Michael Chinich, who was the casting director. Uh-huh. So I went back Thursday and read for Michael. Michael had the, the comment I'll never forget as I left the room. He said, um, I'm going to call you back tomorrow to read for John Landis and Maddie Simmons, the director and the producer. He said, I don't know. There's something about you. I don't know what it is. <laughs> and I'm like, um, so I went back the next day, read for John and Maddie. Right. John said that was, you know, in John's voice, that was wonderful. <laughs> um, and, uh, he said, we have to go back to L.A. We're seeing some more people there. We will let you know in two weeks. Wow. And literally, and you know this, Tim, this never happens in show business. That they called two, in two weeks? Two weeks to the day. Wow, that's funny. Yeah. You and, got the movie. And you got was, it. And it was, and you read for the part of Hoover. It was always you read, as Hoover. I read for Hoover. You never read for any of the guys and like. Nope. Yeah. Nope. I read for Hoover. Um, 
the character description being charmingly incompetent, uh-huh. which I, you know, I, I, I rode that hard. <laughs> <laughs> so until you became a director. Um, so, so then once the cast comes to get like, then you get the part, they fly you out to LA for, for rehearsals. Eugene, Oregon. Oh, you went right to Eugene, Oregon. I didn't know where I was going. Literally, I get the part. It's July of 77. And basically, I'm going to report to Eugene, Oregon. I don't even think they knew it was Eugene yet. They were <laughs> desperately trying to find a college gotcha. still right. to, to let them in. And uh, uh, and I was going to get a plane ticket to uh, late September to uh to eugene and that's where i arrived and so everybody arrives at the same time you don't know any of these people you don't know tim matheson at this point mcgill anybody the seven the seven deltas right um which are the five older guys john tim me bruce and peter Uh and then the two pledges stephen first and tom hulse right we arrived first we arrived like on a Saturday or a Sunday. Um, immediately had dinner with Landis that night. He's looking around the table at all of us, and we're all getting along. And we're very clearly you didn't. Ha- it didn't take long to guess who was playing what. Right. That's funny. <laughs> it's really funny. I just love yeah. this. Yeah. And uh, um, and and John Belushi was going on and on about how nervous he was. So he was there that first night. Yeah. But that, his that- first. That's my other question is, was was he, I mean, because at that point he's a star on Saturday Night Live. Right. Was that intimidating? Or did everybody just like, it just kicked in and you guys became the Delta House? Yeah, it just kind of did. Um, It just kind of did. John was there that first weekend, first couple of days. We toured. We went all around, looked at the different locations. We did a table read, which was not a table read. We did a reading of the script uh, Monday morning, the next, the first morning, right? In uh, in John Landis's hotel room at the Roadway Inn in Eugene, <laughs> and you know, like people are sitting on the floor and things like that. And John's reading all the stage directions, and the stage directions in the script are as funny as as as, as anything. Um, again, you know, you can't do this stuff anymore, but for example, when they get to the Dexter Lake club, yeah, all the people who, who populate the Dexter Lake club in the stage directions are referred to as sharks, sharks, another shark glides by. I mean, it's like we're in a shark tank Oh, And, and all of them, they are the sharks. Wow. The shark behind the bar. Because there's a joke in that scene that the primitive cultures would never fly today. Yeah. I mean, there's so many jokes. Well, that we can. That's a whole show. Um, uh, uh, But but uh, but anyway, so we did that and we went around and we all got haircuts, which was a big to do. We went to a we went to some totally throwback barbershop on the main street of Eugene, Oregon. Right. And everybody got, that's where McGill got his, you know, the back flat top thing, flat top thing. Can yeah. you imagine ugh, if somebody had been documenting this, like how much fun that video would, it wouldn't be video would be filmed then. Well, but, they did. There are, there is documentation of this. There were people shooting it all the time. Really? I mean, oh, I'm going to look yeah. for that. I don't know where, I mean, some of it still exists. I know there are still pictures. I think I have still pictures of the haircut day. Ugh. So, we went in, yeah. Did did you guys have any clue that it was going to be such a monster no. hit, or you just no. thought this is going to be funny? Yeah, we're going to have fun with each other, and that was obviously, and obviously now a million years later, you realize you have to approach things. You cannot approach it like this is a big hit. Right. You have to approach it for what it is in front of you. Right. Nothing more. Also, I think if you approach it like this is, not that I've done a lot of stuff, but if you approach it like this is going to be a big hit, it's going to fail. It's oh, like I know. It's just yeah. too much pressure. Yeah. And, and and how many pilots have you done where it's just like, 
you got these big stars oh, and a big writer, right and it just it, it just tanks. Everybody. Whatever reason, it just yeah. tanks. Yeah, exactly right. Um, yeah. So that was so that that was that, and then John on Wednesday went back to New York to do the show. To re- took the red eye from San Francisco, arrives in New York, and this happened almost every week we were in Eugene. He would rehearse Thursday, Friday, Saturday, do the show Saturday night, back on a plane wow. Sunday morning, back to San Francisco and up to Eugene. And, and then he'd shoot with us Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday. And, and he, only only a good guy. I waited on him once. He seemed like oh, yeah. a really funny, Terrific fun, guy. funny guy. Terrific, yeah. fun, funny guy, and very much clean and sober at that point. Yeah. I, I waited on him uh, at this restaurant. It's still around in, in Amagans at the Stephen Talk House. And his younger brother, Jim, was underage. And I said, hey, do you have, uh, can I see an ID? And Belushi, I can't do it, but Belushi gives me, he ra- he looks at me and raises the eyebrow. Oh, he raises that eyebrow. He raises the eyebrow, and I went, okay, he's cool. <laughs> it's, it's, like, it's, it's the eyebrow that he raises when he's on the ladder. Yeah. Yes. Sitting around looking into the lens. Yes. And I think he knew I had seen the movie 15 times, and he raises the eyebrow. It's like, okay, yeah, fine. He can drink. I don't care oh, how old God. he is. Um, okay, we're going to take another break, Dr. D. Okay. Jamie Wittes is my guest on It's Radio with TV's Tim Stack, and we'll be right back. God, Charlie, you are great. No. I'm serious. You are the best lover I have ever had. It's probably just a flawless technique in the big penis. (laughs) Probably. That's as dirty as we're going to get on this show. Wow. Sadly. Uh, It's radio with TV's Tim Stack. I'm talking again to Jamie Widows here, director extraordinaire. One of the many shows he's done is Two and a Half Men. That was Charlie Sheen in a scene. And you and I have talked a little bit, and we both sort of had the same, because I worked for him for three days and thankfully got fired. I've told you that story. Um, But my take on him was I I really felt bad uh, for him because I think he's, I think he just is a crazy guy. Like I thought uh, my take on him was he is not a bad person. He just is nutty in a true mental illness sense. Well, I also think, um, but I think you're right. I love Charlie. Yeah, I, I think he's great. Um, he's been a friend to me. I hope I've been a friend to him. Um, Charlie's got some demons. Yeah. And he's got some issues and he's he's had to work through them. And it was that was a bad time. Oh, for all of them. because because he was he, he was less and less present. And let me tell you something. When you when Charlie was there. There was nobody funnier. Right. There was nobody smarter. There was no one who knew how to spin the joke. Uh huh. With 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 less effort. Yes, the deadpan thing. Uh, it was just unbelievable, and he was written to beautifully. I mean, you know, Chuck and Lee and that group—they just. I mean, and even at the end, even before we shut the show down, and he was only there sometimes one or two days in a week. You know, once he learned the lines, he could still do it. Right. Um, but it was just getting scary. I mean, we really were a little worried that he wasn't going to come in. And I, I do want to talk about uh, Chuck Lorre a little bit because it's just that is a whole other level of yeah. creativity that, that I don't understand. Um, but did... Is there any like? Is there any way those two guys would ever get back together? Obviously, it would start with Charlie saying, "I am so sorry. I am, I am so sorry." Uh, nothing, nothing is impossible. Nothing is forever. Um, I've never seen a pig fly. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but um, there was a lot of damage. Yeah. There was a lot of damage done. And, um, but look, and, and this is where I, you know, uh, 
uh, Chuck has a, you know, Chuck has a very, uh, Chuck is very smart and Chuck is also very, um, he understands forgiveness. And, uh, and so I don't know. I mean, it would clearly, it's up to them. It's not for right. me. No, make, no, no, no. I know. And but, that's, uh, you know, it's like, you but, don't even uh, want to approach it. It's like, it's not worth I mean, it. I'm such but a as a fan, I think like, oh man, wouldn't that be fun? Yeah. Me too. And I'm such a Pollyanna that I'm like, yes, I think it would be so wonderful. And they should, <laughs> right? because wouldn't we all love to enjoy that partnership again? So, um, yeah. so and uh, Chuck Lorre. So what? here's what I don't get about him. Is that like back in the Miller Boyette days, and I worked on one of those shows, I worked on two of those shows as a writer. They were very, they're all the same show. Like right. they're all, and it's fine. It's, you know, it's just churning out material. It's fine. People like them. They turn them on. They're harmless. The thing about the Chuck Lorre shows, they're all different. Yeah. Like Two and a Half Men is not Big Bang. They are, now, are there dirty jokes in that are really funny? Yeah, there's sure. jokes in every show. But at the core of each show, they're all, Darman and Greg, is, they're all different. Mom is very different. Yeah. Um, but here's my question. In your opinion, is there a form? Does he have a formula that he knows he's going to be able? Like, for example, I'm working for Greg Garcia. He, he knows he wants to do a show about ultimately about karma, about people doing good. Yes. Does Chuck have a formula like that, that he knows he wants to instill in a show? Well, I think I think like Greg, I think Chuck, you know, every one of Chuck's shows needs to be about something and about somebody. And um, my observations of Chuck, there are a few of them, but um, first of all, I've never seen anybody more obsessed with every word. Interesting. Every word on that page is there for a reason. And he's and, doing that for how many shows? I know. Like, there are three, maybe four shows going at once? Well, I worked with him at one point. I think he had five. Um, but uh, but his he has a brilliant mind for the music, partially because he's a musician. Uh-huh. Uh, and that's kind of, I think, one of the places that, that I found – a lot of my connection with Chuck was I could hear the music in his words and, and where that, and how that comedy should sing. Right. And, and um, um, so he's got that. But the other thing that he has is he has a very intensely clear idea of who every single one of those characters is and what they're, I mean, literally what they eat for breakfast right and why they eat it for breakfast and not lunch i mean he has thought these through to an extent i mean you use the the miller boyettes and and not to slight them at all no it was sort of a happy-go-lucky time then chuck chuck brought a level of intense scrutiny to every word and every character and then you inject what obviously every writer, every creator, every developer wants, which then you inject what is the point of view of the series? What am I trying to get across? Um, and of course, for me, that was why the greatest experience I had with Chuck was frankly those those seven years on Mom, um, where for me, I would say to people when I went home at night, I think I've actually, I'm so proud of being a part of this show that's because great. that show was really, I mean, there were episodes of two and a half men where we were setting, um, John Cryer's crotch on fire. Right. Uh, um, <laughs> and you'd be going, I can't believe we're getting away with this. Right. And that it's so damn funny. Right. Mom, on the other hand was it's, in, it's remarkable that we're taking a subject as 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 deeply serious as sobriety right and honesty and living an honest life and we're getting jokes out of it and we're actually getting the the we're getting the seriousness of the issue at the same time it was very fulfilling so would you say that was the highlight of your career 
Well, it act, I think probably for me, in terms of connection with content, yeah. I love Two and a Half Men. I, every, every week, right. you know, what's coming down Main Street yeah. next? Because, oh, yeah, and we you can know it's going to be. And when you get the script early, you're reading it and you yeah, know it's going to build to some crazy moment. Oh, and then you're I mean, also trying to figure out how to shoot it, too, which is. Yeah, I mean, at the same time, you're right. You're doing that. But that's another thing that Chuck is always so good at is he's such a friend to the director. Rarely. And I've worked with a lot of writers yeah. in my life. Rarely, almost never had they written me into something I didn't know how to shoot because they had thought of it. Right. Because Chuck had said, well, they can't shoot it that way. So, and every once in a while, something would come up and we'd do a run through and I'd turn to Chuck and I'd say, I don't think we can have him enter from there and do that joke over there because then you're going to, and he said, I get it. Don't worry. It'll be different tomorrow. And he's, you know. So in general, what as a TV director and multicams, like, for you what's the most fun you have during a week like what's the thing you love more than anything wow um is it the first blocking is it tape night is it well there's you know this too there's really there are not a lot of things more fun than a great table read yes when we all just literally get to sit and hear it right i mean it's you know, right. you can't blame it on the blocking. You can't whatever. It's the words. And I'll read the stage directions and I'll give those my I was going to say, you're also getting laughs reading the stage directions. Uh, you know, I know. And I'm and loving it. But the yeah. fact is, when it's a good one. Yeah. That's really fun. Yeah. And then I guess. And how about when it's a bad one? Ugh. <laughs> that's I, I tell people this, like the worst thing you can do as an actor is not give 100 percent at a table read. That's right. And and you've seen it and I've seen it. Oh, and I can tell you so many names of people that just walk through it. When I watched the person sit down with their breakfast in front of them, Ugh. and that person is making 10 times more money than I am yes. per episode, yes. Um, yes. I'm like, oh, God, it's going to be one of those. Okay. Yes. <laughs> I can't tell you the number of actors who have eaten through table readings, yeah. eaten salad. Like, there's yeah. nothing louder than salad. Yes. And they're or, eating it. Or yeah. the ones who admit. Yeah. Literally, they get to their first joke. Whoops, we just froze. Hang on. And then they literally say, oh, my God, I, 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 I didn't see that. That's funny. I should have read this. <laughs> yeah, you should have read this. All yeah. right. Yeah. And, you know, we had a very good mutual friend with uh, Harry Anderson, who people don't know, he was dyslexic and he couldn't read, but he would memorize the script for the table read. And I'm not going to mention names, but there were other actors at the night court set who were, who slept through table reads and Harry never missed a joke. He was on it and he couldn't read. And, and there are some actors who will say, like, ah, I save it for performance night. I save yeah. it for tape night. It's like, don't. Don't save it. You know. Harry, it's, I'm, I'm glad you brought Harry up. Harry taught me one of the most valuable lessons I ever had as a director. And, and, he, um, and he and I did Dave's World together. And Dave's World was special for me because that was the first show that I had ever developed and sold. I was there. For the first pitch, I was there for the final cuts. Right. I was there for casting for everything. Um, and uh, we had a we were working, we were rehearsing one day, probably season, it was probably season one. And we're doing this moment in the kitchen and we're doing it and doing it, and it's not quite working, but I knew it worked. I mean, I it's one of my favorite things in that script. And we keep trying it. And I keep saying to Harry, maybe if you try it this way, or maybe if you try it that way. And Harry was not, by his own admission, getting it. Wow. He did not get it. And eventually, and I learned this, thank God, he called me into the stage, Jamie, come here. And and very quietly, he said, look, it is very clear to me that you know how to make this joke work. Unfortunately, I'm not you. (laughs) 
<laughs> I could see him saying that. So unless you can figure out a way to somehow make me understand this, that you haven't already, I say we change the joke. <laughs> and I looked at him and I said, you're absolutely right. Yeah. Thank you. <laughs> there you go. That's a great because, lesson. Yeah. yeah. It's like it's if, if there comes a point where, look, my job is to try and incite and, yes. you know, and all that. But if I can't, we got to go another way. Here's a question. If you found some crazy thing on stage, like off script, some yeah. moment, do you go back upstairs and run that by the group before they see it at the run through? Well, it depends. It depends on my relationship with the writer's room. Gotcha. Now, for example, on Dave's world, quite often I would just do it. Because I was Harry's also there and yeah. I was an executive producer and right. Harry was an executive right. producer. And if we decided this worked better, I would when 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 Fred and the gang and the writers would come down, I'd go over to him and said, we changed this a little bit. Right. And invariably, they hated that. Of course. Of course. That is that is a right. Oh, I understand their hate. <laughs> <laughs> I know you do. I know you do. Um, I don't do that so much anymore. Um, if I did it, let's say if I did it with, if I ever did it with Chuck and I think I probably did once or twice, I would have certainly called it up first. Right. And just run it by them. But usually what I did was, and I would still do this. Um, I believe it's so important to show the writers what they wrote as yes. best as we can do it. It, it. It's the same thing with actors auditioning and like when actors sure. start changing lines, it's like, yeah. what's wrong with the one I wrote? What's yeah. wrong with that? Yeah. Is So I do that now. And what we do in rehearsal is I say, look, depending on how that plays. And quite often I, I did this a lot. I would we would finish the scene and then I would sort of step in and say to the writers or. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And I'd show them we thought maybe we yes, could do that. That seems and like the way I to do it. Good, I had a pretty good track record doing it that way. Yeah. Yeah, that's a, that's a, that seems like the perfect way to do it. Okay, yeah. we're going to take our final break. Okay, and this I'm is... going to get a plug and plug in my computer. Because <laughs> <laughs> I'm looking at the little bar here. Oh, yeah. okay. Yeah. Okay, we're going to take a break. It's Radio with TV's Tim Stack. Talking to Jamie Widows. We'll be right back. Hey, it's Tim Stack, and having been in show business for so long, I have a lot of really funny friends, and you can hear them all on It's Radio with TV's Tim Stack. That's part of the Jeremiah Show. So listen. This is ridiculous. I should go home. Yeah, I don't think it's a good idea for you to be alone tonight. And this will be fun, like a slumber party, but, you know, for broken people. <laughs> what about my car? It'll be okay. We'll, we'll get it in the morning. Right. Guess I'll stay. Good. You two have a great time. I'll see you tomorrow. Hey, where do you think you're going? Home. I sleep better in my own bed. I know a dozen men who think otherwise. <laughs> Come on. You heard her. She's not very fond of me. That's what I like about her. Stay. <laughs> so, where's the guest room? Right this way. Okay, we are back. It's Radio with TV's Tim Stack talking to Jamie Widows. That was a clip from Mom, which I want to talk about, the show he directed. Um, but you were just saying, you were talking about night court, pre night court. Oh, well, um, Reinhold Wiggy, who, yes. who created night court. Yes. Um, who has passed sadly. Um, great writer came from Barney Miller. Um, uh, I had the pleasure of doing a pilot. I want to say 1981 or two, um, called park place. And we were, legal aid lawyers uh in downtown new york yeah uh, it was basically barney miller meets lawyers and then and then um night court was the same lawyers in fact we did six episodes for cbs didn't go anywhere harold gould was our al linden gotcha. was our main that makes sense yeah um and uh uh, Don Kalfa, David Clennon. Yeah. Wonderful cast. Yeah. Um, um, and uh, uh, I, I ran into Reiny 
uh, a year later when Night Court was going to get picked up. And uh, and he said to me, hey, you'll never guess what? I said, what? He said, I'm using every Park Place script on Night Court. <laughs> <laughs> I've given everybody. And he said, and you, your part is Marky Post. That's really funny. <laughs> um. yeah. Yeah. So, uh, so let me. T- I got. I got more things to talk about with you. I'm looking at all my papers, but um, let's talk about mom really quickly, and then okay. then I got some bigger questions. But like, I, I got to work with Jamie Presley on My Name Is Earl, and I worked with Anna Ferris on Scary Movie Three. They're both super nice, but Alice and Jenny, yeah. I don't know her at all. She's like, I, I I can't imagine as an actor. Not that I am anymore, but I working with her would be fantastic. I think watching yeah. her work. Well, I, I had a great little run over there uh, in Loryland, going from John Cryer and Charlie Sheen at his best, right? And then Ashton, you know, also great. Uh, over to Allison and Anna and Jamie and Mimi Kennedy, right? And Kristen Johnston. Um, you know, yeah. but but Alice and Allison is, yeah. I mean, you know, Allison. You know, we were all with Allison the morning after she won the Oscar. Yeah, uh, for Tanya. Right. At, at a table read. Yes. I, I mean, you know, I had a little bird. I had props kept me a little bird to put on my shoulder, a little turkey <laughs> uh, for the table read. Um, she is. She is smart. She is funny. She is so deeply caring and thoughtful. And, and, you know, she's just, you know, everybody who gets a chance to work with her is just the luckiest person on the planet. I can't imagine. So that then begs the question, like she's an actress I'd love to work with. Is there a show that you never got to do that you wish you had done? Like, does uh, the show come to mind? Um, well, there was a moment. Um, I, there was a moment, I think, where um, I was, you know, when I was just coming up, I was talked about for a lot of things. Well, let me go back to that time because you yeah. and I, we had a, a horrible office together. Not a horrible <laughs> office, but a horrible <laughs> physical building. We oh, my were God. Next to a pawn shop. This is 1981. Right. I don't know. Right. And but it was around that time that you started showing interest in directing. Uh huh. And I remember you got a gig on that. There was a company called the Arthur Company that did these low budget shows, and 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 then you got an episode of Throb, which was a big deal because it was Uh a syndicated show, and I'm guessing it was Directors Guild, and yep, yep, um, yep, yep. But. You also had at the time you had a you had a very good acting career. Yeah, you're not a huge megastar, but you had a solid career. Right, I was paying the bills. Was your move into directing more based on a creative want or a knowing if I'm going to go the distance in this industry, this might be better for me? Okay. Great question and brilliantly phrased. Thank you. Yes. Um, Yes to the second part. I did not see myself as a 60-year-old man walking into rooms saying, please please like me. Yes. Uh, (laughs) No, because you'd been in rooms and and like auditioning and you're looking at these guys who were TV stars at one time and now they're reading for four lines. Yeah. Yeah. I did not see myself as that. That was that. That's that's one point. But the other point was this, and this is where it gets kind of a little meta. Um, I had gotten where, you know, I'd be doing a show, Charles in Charge. Yeah. You know, which was right about when I said, basically, I'd be standing on the stage going, God, I hate it here. I just hate it here. If I hear another actor ask another question stupid question (laughs) instead of just doing it right and i would go home and i would say oh my god i've started to hate actors 
And actually, I didn't hate actors. I hated being an actor. Right. I'd done it. And I'd, I'd, done, I'd had all the success I ever wanted. I was in a big hit movie. I'd done a Broadway show at that point. I won an award for that. I've done, I'd done all of that stuff. And, and, <clears throat> and I was genuinely interested in that conversation over there. Right. I wanted to be with them saying, I've got a thought for how to help this scene. Because I remember we, uh, which we've talked about recently in the last year or so, um, you know, we did a golf video together with my brother. Yeah, we Pat. did. And, yeah. and I remember during, even during the filming of that, you had ideas of, and we didn't know anything. Nobody knew what we were doing. This guy flew out from Omaha to shoot it. And I knew an orthopedic surgeon who could get us on Brentwood Country Club, but we only had two hours. And you knew what you were doing. I remember Pat and I looking at each other like, he knows what he's doing. Let's, you know, let's, we got to move quick. And then you went back to Omaha to edit the thing. I went to Omaha. And it turned out pretty good. I mean, it, it's yeah. still sitting in our closets, but yeah. it turned out good. And, and I, that's why I wondered about the creative side as yeah. well as the long-term career, because yeah, well, you clearly was, had an eye that. It was both. Yeah. It was both. And the, and the, and you know this, and then, the, and then there's a little bit, the white knuckle period of, well, I make my living as an actor. Right. Um, that was, my, that really was another question. That. Like when you went on throb, how nervous were you? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I was, yeah, uh, but you did have an acting career to go to at the time. That's right. And that helped me with the actors a lot. And right. frankly, with the writers too, they all knew, well, he at least knows what's going on on the stage really well. Right. Um, and, uh, and it was Saul and Bernie. Right. So, you know, Turtle Tob and Ornstein. Right. Perfect. They were so sweet to me. Yeah. And, and other actors had fought. Well, Jerry Paris was an actor. He was probably the first yeah. to do it. But other guys, Ted Bessel, Peter Bonners, there were lists of actors who went on to have very good yeah. directing careers. They yeah. didn't have the numbers you have. You know, well, they Ted Wass is now. I mean, Ted Wass did yes. it. Yes. Um, you know, all of the, you know, you know, all of those ex actors, you know, and what I did have, which I was afraid I wouldn't have was um, for some reason. And I had worked with some ex actor directors who really, you could tell they still wanted to be actors. Yeah. That's not good. And there was a little bit of bitterness there. Yeah. Um, I was so happy to be on the other side. Yes. I love actors again. I'm the yeah, same I way. Know. I am so happy How to be at Video Village. Yeah. <laughs> oh, that's right. I, I've, I've been in front of the camera on some of my own shows. Yeah. Rex Muchnick and David Cohan wrote a part and they said, you have to play this. And I said, no, I don't. Yeah. And they said, yes, you do. I said, no, I don't. Finally, I'm in the scene and I'm literally looking out at, you know, a uh, C camera going, that way <laughs> <laughs> that's funny that's good uh no i i recently went back and i did an acting job on a show called they my friends were writers and they said you got to come in and play this part so i said okay i'll do it and it, it was only like three or four lines but it was funny and it was i was horrible i mean i was right. bad well, I, I couldn't remember the lines i'm i didn't know if that was old and i realized it's a muscle unto itself that if you don't yeah. exercise, it gets flabby. Oh, <laughs> terrible. So uh, before we go, um, we're wrapping up here, but I did want, I, I want to see if you remember the story. Some of it, I don't think you're going to remember, but we were playing golf up. We used to play uh, public courses all around LA. We're playing up at Los Robles. The Robles. The Robles. And Bruce McGill was playing and he brought Kurt Russell with him. Yes. Rem so we, who was a movie star you know it's like yeah you know jamie was a, a, a very working tv guy bruce mcgill was uh, he was d-day in animal house and and i was sort of like in the groundlings and <laughs> you were in the groundlings. i was in the groundlings that was my you call guy Simone, let's yeah. Face it. yeah america is still remembering so but i remember that i just remember this moment that uh a couple of moments from that round we were we you went into the pro shop and all of a sudden this girl is at the other side of the room and she comes she it's like she's starstruck 
and she comes walking towards the four of us who are signing in, and she's not really looking at one person in particular. She's far enough away. She went, excuse me, are you who you think, who I think you are? And Kurt Russell's about to say, and then she, but she's looking at you, and she goes, you're the dad on Charles in Charge. I don't remember this at all. And I remember your face was a combination of like elated and also like, uh oh, the movie star's pissed right now. <laughs> oh, God. You didn't know what to do. It was a combination of like, oh, yeah. And then kind of like, oh, I'm sorry, Kurt. And Kurt didn't know who you were, who he didn't, he knew Bruce. Bruce had yeah. done a movie with his wife, and that's what got him there. And uh, anyway, we ended up having a fun round of golf with him. He told some crazy stories uh, yeah. that round of golf. I do remember that. I do remember that. That's so funny. God. And, and then the other thing I remember about that round, I'm going on about it, was we're walking up 18, and there's a man standing on the, up by the green. And I'm looking up, and I said to myself, what is the deputy from Bonanza doing here? <laughs> and it was his father. Bing Russell had come because I guess he lived in Thousand Oaks and Kurt said, I'm playing Los Robles, come and meet me. And they had a little reunion then at the end of our golf round. Unbelievable. I, yeah, I vaguely remember that, too. Yeah. Wow. That, wow. That was, That's well, what, one more if you got time, yeah. one more golf. So I went to um, I went to uh, I went to Scotland to play golf for my 40th birthday. Nice. Tim Matheson was with me, a couple of my, a couple of other friends, guys I grew up with in Pittsburgh, things like that. We get to St. Andrews. There are only five of us. So we went off as a threesome and then they paired the twosome up with somebody else. Tim Matheson and I on that day are the twosome. It's yeah. the first tee at St. Andrews, the birthplace of golf. Right. Very special, very yes. whatever. Who do they pair us up with? But Mr. and Mrs. Hal Linden. <laughs> Get out of here. I'm not kidding. I'm not kidding. And of course, he didn't know who I right, was. I'm I sure. He knew who Tim was. But trust me, by the first green, he knew who we were. Yeah. I mean, it was, yeah. Yeah. The coincidence is wild. Yeah. Yeah. Because I'm at the time, you're 40 at that point. Barney Miller's long over. He's yeah. sort of like doing that production of South Pacific that you didn't yes. take. That's really funny. That's great. Hal yeah. Linden. You can't write that one. Mr. Oh. And Mrs. Hal Linden. Um, okay. We're done for the day. You can go right. back to whatever you're doing. Thank you so much for doing this. Yeah. Um, yeah. I'll uh, see you soon. I'll person. see you soon in person. Yes. We'll play some golf. I'll, great. In fact, Love Peter are, is coming on the show with his partner, Jeff. Great. Yeah. Love that. So, but I'll line that up. Great. Me too. I've got a good, got a good foursome for us. Okay, great. Okay. Perfect. Talk to you soon. Thank you so much. Thank you guys. See ya. All right. Thank you, Mr. Jamie Widows, extraordinaire, director extraordinaire for being on It's Radio with TV's Tim Stack. Thank you to uh, Jeremiah, our producer, Dr. D, the engineer. It's a treat to be here. Jeremiah Higgins is not here this week, but I'm sure he'll listen and uh, send mean comments. No, I'm kidding um he's only great um and uh i got another guest coming up next week uh which i'll talk about during the week but anyway thank you so much for being here it's radio with tv's tim stack as always a big thanks to dr d for making our voices come alive on the airwaves and to our station manager les carroll for letting us on the air at all be sure to check out our very own Richard Dugan, a.k.a. Dr. D, Peabody Award-nominated radio show, Tell Me Your Story, every Sunday at 7 a.m. and 7 p.m. Listeners, we appreciate you and want to hear from you. Please send us your ideas at jeremiah at thejeremiahshow.com or on Messenger, on Facebook, or Instagram. The show is produced by executive producer Jeremiah Higgins and sound and producer engineer Richard Dr. D. Dugan and me, your announcer, Tony Kelly. It's NFL draft season, and that means it's time to start thinking about fantasy football. 
FantasyPoints.com features industry-leading experts and prognosticators using proprietary hand-charted data to help you score more fantasy points. FantasyPoints.com is the place to go for whatever kind of fantasy football you play. Whether you play fantasy football, daily fantasy sports, or do a little bit of everything, Fantasy Points has the meticulously researched content to guide you to victory. And why wait for the fall? Fantasy Points also covers the new spring football league, the UFL. Join the guru, John Hansen, Scott Barrett, Joe Dolan, and other massive names in the fantasy football universe with an exclusive offer. Use code Pantheon for 15% off any Fantasy Points package, including the all-in package, with access to every article, tool, and data nugget that Fantasy Points has to offer. That's FantasyPoints.com and code Pantheon for 15% off at Fantasy Points. FantasyPoints.com, code Pantheon. Score more Fantasy Points. Fantasy Points.